and welcome to the Tour Bus Podcast. I'm Jay, the Tour Bus Driver, and today we're finishing up our conversation with James David Carter. We're going to dig into his time on The Voice. We'll talk about life after The Voice. Give a shout out to Tim Hortons. We'll talk a little bit about songwriting. He's got a new single called Looking Up. Before you go check that out, listen to this incredible conversation with James David Carter. One of the talent scouts for the show reached out because they stumbled on my YouTube channel. Actually, the two seasons before, they were asking me to come on and I and I kept telling them, no, I don't think that's for me. Like, if you have gone out and tried for one of those shows and you didn't make it, it doesn't mean that you're not great. I think that's the key, especially if you find yourself on a singing show. Be five or six seconds into me singing, they're all turning around staring at me. He kept saying, he's like, man, He's like, I told you, you should have picked me and you would have been on this finale tonight. I look back and, and if I had it to do over. The church thing, obviously lucrative. It helped pay the bills and keep you busy. And you got tons of exposure and experience there. Mean, meanwhile, you're trying to book yourself at, at coffee houses and with bands and you're doing everything under the sun um, that you can. Um that how long did that go on? And I know coming up the next season of your life was kind of uh you you were on the voice. And so uh walk us through the the time period between Cowboys and the Voice and you know, we just talked about a lot of the lessons you learned, but how did you how did that kind of wind down and how did the bug for the voice? Did you just get the bug to go back and do a a singing competition again? You were like, <laughs> I nailed I nailed all the previous ones. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, walk us through that. Yeah. So that the time period after the Cowboys sing, I definitely hopped into um, the church world a lot. You know, they, like you said, they can keep you as busy as you want um, with different events and stuff, depending on the organization you're with and, you know, how extravagant they, they do their events and stuff. But um, yeah, through that time period, I was, I was along that parallel. I was, Still playing shows, you know, festivals, clubs, bars, songwriter joints, uh, whatever. I was doing all that. And also that time period, I was also experimenting stylistically. Um, like I had said earlier, I'm, I was influenced a lot by R&B. I, I mean, I love most every kind of music, but like I, I, I kind of wanted to make like a side project that was more um, like acoustic pop soul. So I did that. I'm trying to think what that was like in... 2008 or something. And, uh, after that time period is when, um, YouTube kind of started to become a thing. And I would, I've kind of like was on the front end of understanding like, wow, if I, um, if I throw like myself doing a cover or something like it, you know, it got a lot of hits or whatever. And alongside of it, Twitter and Facebook were starting to evolve into what they are now it was at the beginning stages of all that and um before that it was it was something called myspace i don't know if anybody out there remembers myspace but that was a big thing back back in the day but yeah so i would throw covers out there on youtube and i would do that for years and it, I, what i saw was like people were you know i could go to a different town and more people would show up because you know so and so from dallas like saw this on YouTube and then shared it with all their friends. And, um, so I started seeing like, 
I need to utilize this, um, you know, and, and leverage this, this new platform because back then it wasn't, it wasn't as common and, you know, in our culture as it is now, um, YouTube at its beginning stages. Um, but because of YouTube, I actually, to parlay that into the voice thing, like the, one of the talent scouts for the show reached out because they saw, um, they came up, they stumbled on my YouTube channel and saw some stuff. And actually the two seasons before I was actually on it, they, they were asking me to come on it. I, and I kept telling them, no, I don't think that's for me. Like, I just don't think I want to do a singing show. Um, and at this time, like American Idol and the voice are, they were well established. Um, I think they had, when they first reached out to me, I think they were starting season five of the voice. And so they kept hounding me and I finally said, okay, I'll, I'll give it a go. Like, like, let me know what I need to do. How, how typical um, is it that they are reaching out to folks? Um, cause well, that's kind of, cause they, that, that might be news to, to some people. Sure. Well, they, they definitely have the, I mean, what you would call like the cattle call, um, whatever the cattle call audition. Um, but I didn't, I didn't have to do that. There's definitely a, a, a handful of people that they, they reach out to specifically okay. and say, Hey, like on this date, can you be here? Like, we just, we want to have. Um, we want you to come and talk to one of the producers and sing for, you know, some of the, the, uh, the talent agency that, that casts the show. And, um, so they had one of those in Atlanta. And so it's basically what they call a preferred audition. Like I didn't have to go stand in line. Like there's a whole nother like audition before the one I had to, the one I did. Um, so I did that. It, it was great. Like I sang two or three songs for the the panel there. So you basically got to skip the first round. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it was it was one of those things. Like w- once you get in that that arena, like the singing show thing, you realize that they're they're really looking for like they're typecasting you. Like you're a character. Like they're just they're looking for like a specific niche or mold of a person for that particular season. Um, I, I say that to, to say that, like, if you have gone out and tried for one of those shows and you didn't make it, it, it doesn't mean that you're not great. Absolutely. Or that you're, um, that, that has no bearing. Sometimes it might just mean you got to work harder. Or you got to figure out who you are. Or sometimes it just means that you didn't profile what they're looking for in that exact moment. And for whatever reason, I lined up with what something they were looking for. Right. And that's such and a huge message. Yeah, and it's nothing bigger or smaller than that, and and you just have to know that going into. It. I didn't realize that once, you know, at the beginning stages of that process, I didn't necessarily realize that. But once you get into it, it's kind of like okay, I see sure. it because then you can watch seasons after, and and it's like oh wow, they they they're trying to typecast someone that's exactly like me, right? And, but but they're not really like you, but they're trying to to fit that mold. So um, so instead of you reaching out to the voice, they're reaching out to you, and you you pushed them off for a couple of years. And what made you decide to to take it and um, tell us about tell us about the experience and what you thought it was going to be like and what it ended up being like? Well, I think I I just got I got to the point where like you you realized well maybe maybe I can leverage this and just getting more eyeballs on 
you as an artist and help grow your social media platforms. And I started trying, and, and, and this is kind of the shift of, um, in my head as an artist, instead of resisting certain things, I, I tried to remain open to things, which the years prior, like I just, I wasn't as open. I was, I was kind of closed fisted, um, figuratively speaking. Like I just, um, I was trying to guard something. I didn't really know what I was trying to guard, but, um, I just started allowing myself to say, you know what? It's an experience. Let me go experience it. If something cool happens, then sure then great. If it doesn't happen, then that's fine too. I'm still, you know, out here playing music for a living. And, um, so yeah, so I got in that, um, past that first audition and then they, they fly you out to, um, let's see, this was March of 2014. Um, they fly you out to LA for about a week and there's probably, I think there was like 180 people out there that they had gotten over the country from all the auditions. Wow. And you, you then audition, you sing for like the Mark Burnett and the whole staff of NBC producers and um, everybody that's affiliated with the show, the marketing people, all that stuff. And, um, and then you kind of go this into is pretty before intense. the blind audition. Oh yeah. This is, yeah, this is before. And, and then you you go into like an int- intense interview with one of the producers. They're trying to get your backstory, and because a lot of the shows, it's it really boils down to your story. And can they, you know, can they sell your story? And will America be, you know, will their heartstrings be touched? Sure. Basically, that's um, that's what their goal is. Obviously, um, so yeah. So I ended up getting past that. So once you get, once we got past that, that week in March, um, they're like, all right, they send everybody home and like, we'll call you back and we'll let you know if you're, um, gonna get to, you know, go on the blind audition or whatever. How, so, how long of a time frame went by? So that was, I heard back, like, I'm trying to think about two weeks later. And then at this point were you still like, and eh, whatever happens happens or were yeah, you getting more excited yeah, yeah. about it? No, I mean, my life was going on. Like I'd get back home and I had stuff on my calendar. I had to go play. Like right. it, it was one of those things like I never um and I can honestly say this is and I think I can say this because of where I was at in my life. Like I wasn't um I was already pretty seasoned and I've seen a lot of things and experienced a lot of things. Like I just I wasn't approaching it as this was my, my massive break or this was some huge break. I was literally approaching it as like, oh, if that happens, cool. Like, I'll go do it and, you know, soak it up and enjoy myself. And like, I, I literally can say like, I never took it too serious. And I think that's the key. Like, I think, especially if you find yourself in that scenario, if you find yourself on a singing show with, because stuff moves fast and there's a lot of stuff going on around you. You just have to kind of roll with things and, and not take yourself so serious. So then you get to the blind audition. How'd it go? What song did you sing? Remind everybody kind of what your options were, what coach you picked. Sure. Um, sure. So so coming up to when you go back to LA for the blind auditions, they actually send you, uh, We don't. you don't get to pick that song. They kind of take um, whatever your, your, your influences are, like what genre you are, what, what you, you know, you're into where you lean towards and they, they give a song to you. And, um, so they gave me the song, um, nobody knows it was, 
It was a song that was released in the R&B chart, uh, Tony Rich Project. And then it was actually released also on the country chart. A guy named Kevin Sharp um, released it as a country single. And it was actually a perfect song. It was actually a song I used to play at Cowboys a ton um, too, which was actually pretty comforting because I knew it inside and out. And um, so I did that song and I remember going to the first rehearsal out there with the band um, in LA and they were like, well, play it down for us, just you and a guitar so we can kind of see the vibe where you want to take it. And then, so when I played it just by myself, one of the producers was like, you need to do that. Like, so they wanted it just no band. It was just a cue. It ended up being just me, um, just me keys. And I think they, I think, I think they also had like, uh, like put steel guitar or something on it. It was like a fake steel guitar. Um, so anyways, it, it was, I was able to make it my own, which was to me the most comforting thing. It would, it would have been like how I would have done it. Like as an artist, if they said, Hey, go sing this song or do a cover of this, that's how I would have played it. Um, so I was super comfortable, you know, obviously the, the morning of the, the other thing that you don't realize is like, so I was out there for like three and a half weeks before my, even my audition happened. Like you're doing a bunch of B-roll, you're doing all the, you're filming everything that you see going up when your blind audition airs anytime that like you're walking on a sidewalk or whatever it's all. Yeah. You're just, yeah, it's just, it's ton. It's like long days of just filming these random things. Just like, what in the heck? So I learned a ton about TV and it's a lot of, um, I mean, if you want to know about TV, like, legitimately it, it all it is is hurry up and wait like you just wait and then you do something for like 30 seconds and then you wait some more oh and, yeah um so it's a bunch of that and you know as a guy you have makeup caked all over your face so that's that's real fun um because they you know <laughs> you're actually you know that you're in hair and wardrobe constantly and all that stuff um so fast forward do the audition uh like literally i mean you can pull it up on YouTube and yeah, you can I'll see probably, I think I'll probably put it on the site. Yeah. So I think it was maybe five or six seconds into me singing. Like they're all turning around, staring at me. And, um, I think that season it was Adam Levine, uh, Pharrell, of course, Blake Shelton. And then, uh, Gwen Stefani. That was, that was Pharrell and Gwen Stefani's first se- season. Okay. So it wasn't the season they started dating on. No, but it was, uh, that's the season they met. Okay. They sure, met uh, sure. during, um, so yeah, so did the audition and obviously they edit down auditions, but my, I was literally standing on stage, um, for about an hour of them deliberating and, and convincing me to, you know, obviously you see on TV, they're, they're pitched towards the person on the stage and like, Adam Levine and Gwen Stefani are like standing on the back of their chairs and really, you know, just, just stuff. It's, yeah, are it was they, nuts. It was pretty cool. But, and, but, but, and it's legit. Like they legit want you on their team at that point. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so I ended up picking, um, obviously I ended up picking Blake, which, which I didn't, didn't you surprise, know, I had wouldn't a great, have surprised anybody. N- no, no, I'm a country guy. Like, obviously, um, and honestly, I didn't really watch the show before I went on it very much. Right. So I I didn't have a grasp on strategy for a TV sure. show. Yeah. 
Um, so if I had it to do over, I probably would have picked um, Adam because as we got into it, um, all they kept saying behind the scenes was like, yeah, all Adam wants to do is beat Blake with a country artist. Like, and you would have had that. So if, yeah, if I would have known, and, and there's different things I can, you know, there's different avenues I can go down to vocally and stylistically sure. that I, I could have done beyond country. Absolutely. Like, you're not, you're not a one trick pony stuff. at all. No, no. And um, so I think Adam and I, and he real like, even to the finale, uh, when I went back for the finale, like he kept saying, he's like, man, He's like, I told you, you should have picked Man. me. You would have been on this finale tonight. And I, <laughs> it was so fun. But he was, you know, super encouraging. But uh, Adam's like super competitive. Yeah. Um. So I look back and and if I had it to do over, I mean, I love Blake Shelton. He's awesome. He was great to work with. I have zero anything bad to say about Blake. It was awesome. He's hilarious. He has a massive knowledge of country music which is awesome we that we shared that together yep. and um and he was awesome to hang out with but as far as in context of a tv show i probably would have um gone a different route hey this is jay the tour bus driver and it's time for a union break so if you're a musician a producer any kind of worker in the gig economy then you're going to want to reach out to my friends john and christy at element cpa you see john is a good friend of mine from the business world i recently found out that he started a new cpa firm that focuses on workers in the gig economy and so people in film entertainment music uber drivers they can all use the services at element cpa you can read more on the tourbuspodcast.com slash element again that's the tourbus podcast cast.com slash element. Uh, here's a quick snippet from an interview I did with John and Christy uh, that'll be coming out in a future podcast episode. Please check this out and give my friends John and Christy a call at Element CPA, and then we'll get right back to our regularly scheduled program. Well, Element is a full-service certified public accounting firm. Uh, we just happen to major in music, film, and entertainment, and other like-minded industries. You know, we started out doing uh, a lot of feature film work 10 years ago, and now we've kind of branched out into other entertainment spaces in Atlanta, New York, LA, uh, and now Nashville and Miami, and sort of growing wherever entertainment happens. Tax preparation, tax planning, business management and consulting, bookkeeping, all of these services. And these are services that we have tailored, especially to our, our clients in the entertainment industry. Well, we're, we're talking about $2 trillion that they're trying to pump through different um, programs to get into people's pockets as fast as possible. The Paycheck Protection Program is a really confusing program right now for a lot of independent contractors. Uh, it may be better to be, you know, an independent contractor that's drawing unemployment benefits. And, you know, obviously every case is different. Um, you need to really get some help and ask, uh, you know, wh which is going to be better in your particular situation. So hopefully this new week will bring some, uh, you know, a little more news and a little more guidance on that for folks uh, who need to really need those unemployment benefits to start flowing for them. Once again, that's my friends, John and Christy at Element CPA. You can go to the tourbuspodcast.com slash element to learn more. Let's get back on the bus and catch up with our guest. So all that to say, you didn't win The Voice. You weren't on the finale. What did you take away from that experience, and where did you go next? So um, I don't, I don't have any complaints with with how anything went down. Like I was in um, all the way up in the live shows, and I was, you know, you have those moments where 
you're you're on live TV on national television. It's kind of like all you're hoping is that you don't screw up or or fall or <laughs> or you hope your guitar doesn't fall off or or whatever. Yeah, is my zipper up or and the other thing, like they they cut out your pockets and your pants. That's a little fun fact for for you guys to 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 know. I don't know why they do that, but they cut out your pockets so you don't see the lining in in your pants. It's so weird. Um, yeah. So <laughs> so I was in the live shows and and didn't end up uh, winning or anything like that. But I was actually kind of glad because I honestly didn't want to win. Um, and that might sound weird, but I wanted to make it pretty far, but not win because I didn't. Um, I think one of the reasons why I didn't want to go on a show like that is because I didn't want to be branded as, oh, you're the guy that won the voice or whatever. And like, it's still, it's still something I did, but like, it's not as, um, like, I don't think I have like the thing necessarily of, uh, I'm, I, I went on the show. Like, I don't think, you know, I didn't win it. Like, like there's still something that I, that I didn't want for, for whatever reason. So it sounds like it worked out to your advantage, kind of how you would want it to work out or, or, or what you thought was best. What did looking back, was it kind of the right move and what happened next? And, and, and why was that a good thing? Sure. Um, yeah, again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade my experience, um, for anything. And I would, I would definitely do it again if given the, the choice. I mean, the cool thing coming off of, of that show, specifically the year after, um, I mean, I remember having this moment. I got booked to play this uh, festival in Toronto. So I was at this fair, fair festival thing in Toronto. And I'm, it's just me and guitar and like 5,000 people showed up in this like hockey arena because there were a bunch of voice fans. <laughs> it was like nuts. It was, it was pretty insane. <laughs> like where you have and your this biggest is, following is in Toronto. Yeah, it's like in Canada. Like, so I'm like, like, do I need to do I need to move to Canada? It's like that joke. Um, they're big in Japan. You're big. Yeah, in Can- no they're big in Canada, which is actually a. ideal. Um, a. a it's beautiful. I just went to Toronto for the first time for work um, last fall, and I had a blast. It was a beautiful place. Toronto is awesome. Yeah, and my favorite part about the whole thing was Tim Horton's uh, Tim bits. Like the little donut holes were unbelievable. I had, I had Tim, I had Tim Horton's for the first time when I went there and it was a, some sort of maple bacon glazed bagel or something that was just something that Duncan needs to get on. (laughs) For sure. For sure. (laughs) Um, So, so you go to Toronto and, a bunch of hockey fans show up that love James David Carter and the voice. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just stuff like that. Like you just noticed, um, you know, more people will be showing up to shows you play. Like I got off the show and like, it doesn't, there's not like some magical thing that happens that everybody wants to sign you or you don't have, you know, management booking people like knocking down your door. Like you still have to go work. Like you have to put in the work. It just, all the show did was it kind of gives you a steroid shot of momentum and you, it's, it's really a matter of what you do with it. Um, because you re I mean, you realize like how many people like are on those shows. Like there, there's quite a, quite a, you know, in the big scheme of things, yes, there's way more people that want to be on it than get on it. But on the whole, like, I don't even know what season they're on now. Like, I don't, um, I haven't watched it in, in a, in a minute, but, um, 
I mean, a lot of people get on those shows, but it's just a matter of what do you, how do you leverage it when you get off of it? You can't just be waiting like, well, I made it. I went on a singing show and now everybody likes me. Like, it's just not, it's just not how it works. And, and, and Um, the only, your mindset can't be that the only outcome is that you win and not think about not only what do you do after the fact, but what else do you do better and bigger or not, 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 not even bigger what is more aligned to your version of success for sure yeah and and that was again like i had said before i even went on it like i had the the foresight to know and to just really treat it as an experience and not an end all for anything so if you have having that attitude i mean it allowed me once i got off it just to appreciate the experience and and just be thank just be thankful for like Man, when I when I play a show in whatever city that I used to go to, now like instead of, you know, two or three hundred people showing up, it's five or six hundred. It's doubled. Or, you know, it's just stuff like that. And it it creates creates momentum. And like I released a record, I released an album, um, let's see, twenty fifteen. So it was the year it was the a few months after the show ended and my album independently, like it went like, I'm, I think it was top three in the country on the iTunes country chart, which is hard to, it's hard to do. Yeah. Like, cause there if, are a if ton you don't have songs if, to compete. Yeah. With. Like if you don't have th- that many eyeballs on you, granted, like it's hard to keep it there without label dollars and stuff. But, um, it, but it's one of those things, like, it's just cool to look at, look at your phone and be like, wow, my, my record's like number two on the iTunes country chart right now. It's pretty cool. You know, like, it's just one of those things like it's, you know, it's a cool little milestone. To, but where did you, where did you want to go after that? Like, what did, what did you have your sights on? The more and more, um, as I've gotten older, the more and more I've uh, gravitated to writing more, mm-hmm. whether that's for me or for other artists. Because um, as you, as you do grow older and you get years and experience, um, you tend to gain wisdom and you, and you, you have more things to say and you figure out different ways to say the same thing, maybe. Um, that maybe younger, like I just didn't have the, you know, it wasn't my mentality. Like when I was young, um, do you look back on the songs that you wrote? Cause, cause I remember, uh, at the beginning of our conversation, you talked about writing song lyrics instead of focusing on your psychology class or whatever. So do you have songs from back sure. then that you look at, you pull oh, out God. and see, and like, what do you think about them? They're so bad. <laughs> like they were awful. They were so terrible, but it, but again, it's like, there's a progression. Is it, do you have, like, do you, you have, have a line that sticks out as like just one of those favorites, even if it's funny, like, do you have a line from a song back then that you could just, you know what? So, okay. So us? here's, here's a, I don't, but here's <laughs> one of the, here's a funny story that I've ever remember. I think I was, uh, I had to be 19 or 20. Like I had a, a meeting with EMI, uh-huh. uh, publishing, and my dad was with me. We were in Nashville and I played them a song that um, it was super a traditional country song, but it was, it was like about a, um, it was about like a deadbeat dad. And my dad had never, my dad had never heard it. It was more so about, it was a friend of mine in Orlando that had a, oh, no. an absent father that I wrote it about. And it was actually, I, I look back, it's actually a well-crafted song, but my dad had never heard it. And I played, I played it in that meeting and I ended it. And my dad's like, he looked at me as like, uh, Do we need to talk, son? 
yeah, do we need to talk? I'm like, no, 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 no. But anyways, it was kind of like a very comical thing on a very kind of serious, heavy song. But, um, but yeah, I, but, but I, I mean, you know, for every one like pretty good song you write, you're gonna write 10 that are terrible or maybe even more, but it's, it's more so the process of getting it out, like finishing something. Right. I think that's, that's what I've learned through the years. It's, I think, especially in my twenties, like if I didn't finish it, I'd get frustrated and, and then I'd shelve it. And it's just like, ah, that, that sucks. Like I'm not even going to finish it. Even if it, even if you think it's terrible, like the exercise of, of starting something and finishing it, um, will only work that the songwriting muscle as they put it. And I remember, um, I remember being a co-write. I was in my early twenties and I was in a co-write with a guy that had, I won't say his name, but he, uh, he had like seven or eight number ones, bunch of album cuts. And he's like, you know what? He was an older gentleman and, and I was a big fan of his writing. And he's, he's the one thing he said to me that stuck out was like, you're only as good as the next song you write. And I had to think about that for a minute because I'm just like, like this dude has a massive catalog and has a ton of success as a writer, but he still has this mindset of, I'm just, I got to keep creating, just keep creating because you can't just rest on the fact that I've, I've done this or I've, I've had this many songs or I've had this many Grammys or I have, you know, I've done, I've been on the voice or whatever, fill in the blank, whatever that is like, creativity creativity never really has an end so it's just understanding and that's that's the one perspective that um should keep you humble um throughout your career is the fact that it ne- it never ends like you're never you never arrive anywhere it's just a constant um keeping yourself in a, a place of creativity which um there's a lot that aligns for me as I've, as I've learned in my life to, to prioritize, prioritize certain things in my life that I used to not prioritize, meaning my relationships, my, um, time spent away from what I'm doing from, from my craft is also important to be able to be inspired by living life and have, having stuff to write about. Like, it's okay to like, yes, work hard, uh, but I think what's more important than even working hard is working smart, like because you need outlets that allow you to unplug your creativity to be able to refill that cup to be able once you come back to it, circle back back around to sitting down to write a song, you have something to say. Right, and one one nugget I want to draw out of that um, from just a couple minutes ago, what you were saying about you know you got to write you're going to write nine or 10 bad songs for every one song. And, and in listening to you tell your story, it sounds like to me, if, if, if you could talk to James David Carter at any point from your teens through your twenties and and thirties now, you know, James David at any point was willing to go through the 10 bad songs to, to get the one good song because the, the adrenaline and the, the high from the one good song and the one high moment was worth, you know, the nine or 10 bad things. And it's almost like a gut check for folks out there that are like, am I, you know, I think I want to be a songwriter, you know, do you you have what it takes to dump your heart into 10, things that are ultimately probably going to get thrown away for the one 
that won't. There's no doubt. I mean, that that's um that's a bulk of whether you're a writer or an artist, like you're nine times out of ten, you're gonna face more rejection in and that's not to be I'm not trying to be like a pessimistic um, That's reality statement, but it's just it it's a reality of you have you just have to be confident in who you are. And the more and more and it's funny what happens when you even if you just like I said, if you finish stuff, like there's something that happens to your spirit when you finish something. When you create something out of nothing and you finish it. Um uh, whether it's good or bad, I mean like music and, and songs are so it's kind of who's um, who's to say. Is is the right word subjective? Because if you have yeah. people that are interested in what you're doing, then and if you have an, a captive audience that cares and they think it's, they think it's great. Then they think it's cool. Then, then you're, you're living your dream. Like it's not, there's not like a certain thing, like unless I win a Grammy as a writer or an artist, then, then I'm valid. That's not, that's a lie. And it's not true. Like um, the one thing I would tell myself, if I could look back, um, there's two main things that I would tell myself is, um, a don't be a people pleaser because it um it will ultimately rob you of your uniqueness. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't be everything to everyone. Like I look back on my twenties and I feel like um there's a lot of times I lost my way just because I was trying to be everything to everybody and whether it was trying to be likable or trying to stylistically be everything to everybody. And what that does is like, if you're talented, people are going to recognize that, but they're also not going to really see your uniqueness. They're just going to be kind of like, Oh wow, he can kind of do everything, but there's nothing like special. Um, I kind of lost, like, I feel like I've regained a little bit of who I am as I've gotten a little older because I start, I've started to care less about what people think so much and just being more comfortable in my skin, um, has kind of take, taken all the pressure off. So what are you creating right now? So um, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, I have a, a, a single coming out in the month of April. And if, if you're listening to this after April, you can literally go to iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, and listen to it. Uh, it's a song called Looking Up. And um, I'm super excited. It's the first song that I've um, tracked completely in uh, my home studio. And I've usually just tracked um, demos and stuff, and they've usually been stripped down, but um, played everything on it except drums. My buddy Christian Pascal, who's also been on the, uh, the old tour bus uh, podcast yep. here, he played drums and mixed it. And um, super pumped about it. And, you know, everything that's going on currently in our country and in the world, really, um, I wrote it with a buddy of mine, um, Ben Brandenburg here in uh, Athens, Georgia. And uh, he had this idea, like, and he's, he's wanting to get into write songs and he came to me and he had this idea. Um, it was actually after a series at our church called Screen Time, which basically the gist of it was about unplugging and realizing what, you know, social media, ha- the effects it has on us. And so we wanted to write a song called, uh, not called, but just basically about unplugging and, it's basically a song about reprioritizing um, and shifting your um, just your thoughts onto what, you know, 
unglues you from the chaos and stress and grind and all that stuff, um, which isn't a new concept, but the way we landed on landed, landed it, I feel like currently with where our country's at, what everybody's experiencing, the anxiety people are going through, the chaos mm-hmm. that is seemingly happening around us. I think it's a very timely song. We had no idea at that time. It was probably a good uh, month before all this went down or wrote it back in, I think we wrote it back in February and then I recorded it in about a span of a week. And then, um, so anyways, we're getting it all ready to release it and stuff. Uh, did the photo shoot for it last week. Uh, we socially distanced in ourselves in a field. <laughs> you brought the extra uh, zoom lens. That's, that's right. Um, so yeah, so we're pumped about it. So depending on when you're hearing this, it's, um, uh, and we'll, it's out. It's out on iTunes, Spotify, all that. We'll stuff. have it up on the site uh, as soon as it comes out. For sure, so, um, that'll be available. Um, looking forward to hearing that. This has been just a supreme pleasure. I've learned a ton. Uh, I think our listeners have learned a ton, and uh, I can't wait to have more conversations with you about songwriting. Thank you so much. Awesome. I'm always here. Love the chat, <laughs> and um, I appreciate you guys listening. Absolutely. Hey, and thanks for listening to the Tour Bus Podcast, a platform built by working musicians and producers to help you get more auditions, more gigs, and more of what you want. I'm Jay, the Tour Bus Driver. If you like what you hear, you can do a couple things. You can subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us online and like us wherever you do your social media. If you have any comments or questions, you can go to thetourbuspodcast.com slash tipjar and leave us a comment or question, or you can email tipjar at thetourbuspodcast.com. Theme music provided by The Rock Tronics and at Philly Stacks Music.